Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Game Fishing Parks podcast and blast. I am your host, Chris Hull. Got a cool, cool episode. Got to sit down uh, with a really good friend of mine um, from Rapid City, professional fisherman, and uh, a guy with a bigger heart than uh, just about anybody I know. I know everybody is sick and tired of the cold and the snow, but the end has got to be near. It's got to be near. I'm thinking maybe three weeks, mid-March, we'll start seeing it in Pier. Uh, maybe first of April from all my uh, friends up in the northeast corner. Uh, it just keeps snowing, and it feels like we're in northern Minnesota. But keep your chins up. The uh, The end is nigh, and uh, winter's deathly grip has got to be over. In the meantime, let this cool interview with my friend Craig Euler keep you warm. Talking time flying just passed by without saying hi to me. Talking time flying just passed by without saying bye to me. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome to South Dakota Game Fishing Parks podcast and blast. I'm here at the Black Hills uh, Sports Show. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome to the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks uh, Podcast and Blast. I'm here at the Black Hills Sports Show with a guy that I've been friends with for a couple years. I fooled him into thinking that I was a really good ice fisherman, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing, took me out uh, lake trout fishing. I really messed that up, but he still stops and talks to me. Uh, if you're a Black Hills ice fisherman, if you're a South Dakota ice fisherman, you probably ran into my friend Craig Euler. Craig, thanks for giving me a minute. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, avid listener of your show, and <laughs> you know, before I realized it was you, I actually enjoyed the show. <laughs> no, no, it's an honor to be on. Craig, let, let's take a minute. I know, um, you know, I'm a big ice fisherman. I'm from, South, you know, northeast South Dakota. Tough, tough ice conditions up there with all the snow, hard to get around. What's the Black Hills ice fishing, like, what's what's the conditions, ice conditions and everything around the lakes? You know, we started off really weird this year. It was just an odd year. It, it, we started off cold, and then all of a sudden we got very unseasonably warm, and we just weren't growing ice like we typically do, and... There's a lot of times fishing in the hills. I'm on the ice a month before most of the right. rest of the ice belt is. And and I was a month behind everybody this year, so just out of the ordinary. But then, you know, this Arctic blast we've had, we are making ice now. And yeah. and I will say the one thing that's crazy is it seems like once those lakes freeze, that temperature can get up there, but it's still freezing at night. You're still making right. ice at night. And and so, so we're good. Pactol is the only one that I have any real concern with. Uh, there are areas that just froze over within the last week, so a guy wants to use caution out there. Um, but then, you know, we've got snow cover on a lot of the lakes, so it, access is pretty decent, except for Deerfield. There's a lot of snow up there, but it, a person just you can get around without a snowmobile, but you're just going to want to use caution. Right, right. So Craig, Craig's part of Ice Team. He goes and does seminars, and, and uh, I, I actually had somebody send me, because we're friends, sent me a piece of bait, some plastic bait, and I want you to talk about it. That's named after you. Lake trout. You know, I'm a diehard lake trout fisherman. If you know me at all, you know I like catching lake trout. And we, I was talking with a good buddy, Scott Brower. He owns Mackie Plastics. He's out in New York. And uh, we were talking about 
one of the baits or one of the food sources in Pactola and it's the mysis shrimp and it's kind of a relatively unknown bug for lack right. of a better term that you know yeah there's freshwater shrimp and there's other kinds of shrimps but there's mysis shrimp people hadn't heard of and even Scott Brower didn't know what this mysis shrimp right. was so he was intrigued and and uh, so I just started harassing him a little bit about can we make a bait that looks like it and we went back and forth he would send samples and I'd have him tweak this and change that, and and we finally agreed on something, and then it showed up on my doorstep, and it was called the Craigie, and it was probably the most <laughs> embarrassing yet humbling thing I'd ever experienced. And I don't love the name, but I love the bait. Right. I absolutely love the bait. It's that and the leech flutter spoon from Clam are the only two things I've used for the last three years. So, and let's let's talk about this. I don't want to beat it into the ground, but it was four years ago. I heard about you. We talked about doing this, uh, your event that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, I had some people talking to me about, you know, this guy, this crazy guy that's targeting lake trout and Pactola and, and me working for Game Fish. And, and, you know, all of a sudden we kind of hook up and, and there's, there is this guy that's on the ice targeting lake trout. So how do you, and, and lake trout, I, I would say, and I'll ask you, has, has the action, the angling action for lake trout, it makes it tougher for you, right? I mean, obviously, I, I, I've been out there since, you know, not lake trout fishing, but there are people out there that wouldn't be out there if you hadn't said your I, videos, landing big fish. So, so I, I've been uh, approached about this in the past, and you know, it's funny. When I first started, I, I went over this in the seminar, so it's fresh in my right. memory. Uh, but w when I started lake trout fishing here in the hills, it was 1999. And there was four other guys that targeted lake trout. So we had the lakes to ourselves. But, yeah, I mean, we were successful. But we weren't, like, consistently catching huge fish. And then this guy named Corey Snyder shows up out of right. nowhere he was a guide in, out of Chamberlain, and, and this is how obsessed I am. I mean, I, as soon as this guy showed up, I knew who he was. He's someone new fishing for lake trout. Well, he was fishing in weird spots that didn't make sense to me, and then one day he ties the state record, so it makes the newspaper that this Corey Snyder ties state record. Ten days later, he breaks the state record. Ten days after that, he demolishes the state record, so it went from 20 pounds where he tied it, then up to 22 pounds, and then he crushed it with a 27-pounder. Right. And so... Yeah, there's more pressure, but he forced me to become a better angler. He forced me to to reevaluate everything I was doing, and so I was I had to get out there and uh, and try new things. I was so focused on what guides up in Canada were telling me that I wasn't fishing Pactola. I was fishing a Canadian lake right. on Pactola, right. if that makes sense. And so so that that added pressure makes me become a better angler. And, and yeah, we're, there are definitely more people out there since we started promoting the sport. You know, our good friend Tyler French. Right. He, he was one of them, too. You know, him and I, we kind of came on the scene at about the same time where we started catching big fish and, and doing really good at it. And, and it drew a lot of attention. But because of that, now every bait shop or, or Cabela's, Shields, the Rooster, everywhere is carrying lake trout. Right. You know, I don't have to order from Canada anymore. And now we've got lake trout in Deerfield, and I know that's not, I mean, yeah, they're there to help control the perch and the rock bass, but it's also because we pressured them into saying we need another lake trout right. lake. I, I, that was going to be my next comment question about you might be a victim of your own success, but you're also expanding. You haven't only expanded, you know, the, the, 
the fisherman base, you've expanded your target lake base. I mean, it, it's definitely not solely because of, of you and Frenchie and, and some of the other guys, but it, it, it definitely has something to do with it because those fish have proven that they can do a good job of doing not only taking care of some of this predator-prey balance, but guys can target them and guys can catch them. Right, and, so. and you know, I mean, yeah, it, it can get frustrating when there's a lot of people out there, but, you know, we don't have the the population like those east river lakes do so when i talk about it being busy out on pactola i might look around and see 40 people you know you go to those east river lakes and you see 400 right. people and it's like holy cow that i might get a little claustrophobic right but you know i i i'm sure there are people that would think that i'm not doing the lake any favors by promoting uh pactola as a destination and promoting lake trout as a target but you know I think everyone deserves that opportunity. It's right. such a unique fish, and I mean, the battle that you get when you're right. fighting a lake trout is just, it's the most insane thing ever. So so everyone should experience that. But then, you know, along with my teachings of how to catch them, I like to promote catch and release. I think, you know, Pactola is very healthy. I mean, the right. lake trout fishery is super healthy right now. They're catching a lot of big fish. We're catching a lot of fish, and I'm willing to say we're catching more of the bigger fish now than we were 10 years ago. So right. with the popularity of the sport, the popularity of catch and release is happening too. And, right. and so as long as that stays consistent with the popularity, then I don't think there's going to be any ill effect at all. I mean, yeah, there's going to be added pressure, but that's just going to drive me to become a better angler. Right, right. All right, I'm totally shifting gears. Uh, not only are you a legend in some circles, your dad is certainly a legend in Rapid City circles. And we're going to talk about um, the Club for Boys, but I want you to talk about the event that you've done. How many years have you done the Hooked on Hardwater event? We are two weeks away from our sixth annual event. Sixth annual, and I was part of the second annual. First or second. First or yeah. second. Snowed, ton of fun. Tell us about, the, tell us about this event and, and why you do it and what you're doing. Well, I guess it all starts with my dad. You know, he he works at the Rapid City Club for Boys. He's been there for 53 years he's been, now. He's been talking about retiring or threatening yeah. retirement for Yeah, and, and the odds of him actually ever retiring are probably not going to happen. Right. You know, he he truly, he, he was uh, on his way to becoming an Eagle Scout with the Boy Scouts, and their troop leader ended up having to move and so there's no one to run his troop anymore. And so one of the neighbor kids said, hey, instead of scouts, why don't you come down to the, at that time it was a boys club of, or associated with the Boys Club of America. And my dad wasn't really interested, but he went down on a buddy night they had where he could go for free to check out the facility. Well, as soon as he walked in, he was like, holy cow, this place is cool. And so by the time he was 16, he started working there. And he has worked there ever since. Amazing. He's, 59 years old and he he so he or 69 years old i'm sorry so he's been there for 53 years and you know he was executive director for a lot of the years and he's since retired from that role and now he's just uh in charge of the fundraising right you know there's a lot of donors that are comfortable with him so you know right. they just they they, they want to talk to him and and it, it's a solely uh uh privately funded organization i mean it, it relies on the donations right. of everyone so so, you know, that that's a huge aspect of it. But with him being there for so long, then I was there, you know. So I grew up with a lot of those boys. And and I 
I ran into a guy a few years back that he, I didn't recognize him, but uh, he was a guy that my dad would call on a weekend, or he was a kid, he was the same age as me, and he'd call his mom on the weekend and say, hey, we're going fishing, can, I won't say his name, but can he go? And uh, so he would go with us, and he ended up spending a lot of time with us. There was a lot of a lot of weekends spent out fishing right. with us. And when I ran into him here just a few years back, he talked about how that changed his life. His right. his whole dynamic of life changed because he was more uh, worried about taking his kids out. I mean, he's now married with kids, and every weekend they were in the outdoors. Right. And and you know, I growing up, I was almost a little resentful of that time that was spent with all these other kids you know i didn't get a whole lot of just me and dad time right. and and granted i got a, plenty of it but you know every time someone else you know it was <laughs> yeah. kind of annoying and yep. and now i can appreciate that because because i know what's going on and so so i mean that, it was a long way to get to my point here but that's why we started hooked on hard water is you know there's so many of those kids at the club for boys that don't get that opportunity they don't get the exposure to what our their backyard has to offer and and just for a oh, one weekend we bring in pros from all over the country i literally have pros from coast to coast washington all the way to new york are coming in yep. and they get partnered with a boy from the club for boys and they show them and as you know they show them a day on the ice that those boys are never going to forget right and they don't so. it's it's one of the, really honestly the coolest things i I've, I've been a part of a lot of mentoring events and and I've mentored kids in deer hunting and take them, you know, two, three years in a row and, and try to get them that instilled thing. But th- this event and walking in and seeing these kids and how excited they are to get this chance. And, you know, there's kids all over and they're bragging. But at the same time, man, you see these kids and they're focused and they want to catch fish and they want to learn. It's an amazing thing. And it's all sponsored, right? I mean, this, this is paid yeah. for by local sponsors, local. national sponsors. Yep, local sponsors, national sponsors. You know, we... We rely on cash donations from a, a lot of great organizations here in our community and then product donations from a lot of, uh, in, you know, companies that are in the ice fishing industry. You know, they just want to be a part of it. And, and our joke is it's a non-denominational event because it's kind of funny how we say that. But, you know, if you, in the ice fishing world, I'm a clam guy. I'm an ice team guy. So, you know, you, you, the Eskimos and the otters, that, right. that's the enemy. Well, that's not the case here. Right. I mean, I have pros from all companies, and it's an area where, or it's a place where we can get together, and there's one focus, and that is to make sure that those right. boys walk away with the most amazing experience they can ever have. Right. And, and, and it shows in the kids' faces, you know. I mean, we, we had a boy a couple years ago. He sat down on the ice bawling as they were walking back to the bus because he didn't want to leave his pro. Yep. And, you know, he did, He said, I don't want to go home. I'd rather go with you. And so I don't know what his home life is like. I don't know what the situation is there. But all I know is that pro was the most important person in his life at that time. Right. And that's pretty powerful. You know, and I've got a million stories, and I could bore you with every one of them. But, <laughs> you know, just, just another one. You know, uh, one of my pros was talking to his boy about Mount Rushmore. And the boys, like, didn't know what Mount Rushmore was. And here, you know, it bothered him, my pro, because here this kid lives 20 minutes away from Mount Rushmore, didn't know it even existed. And he said, I was on vacation, and I was a state away. And I thought, well, we're close enough to Mount Rushmore. Let's just take a detour up there and go check it out. And, And so he drove seven hours out of his way so he could see Mount Rushmore. And so, you know, just... 
It's just so many stories like that where, I mean, there's such an impact on these kids. And, and something that I didn't know would happen would be the impact on the pros. Oh, yeah. and, and you can attest to it. I mean, I didn't know there would be this huge emotional attachment for you guys yeah. to to know what you're doing. I thought, well, it's just a fishing trip for you and you get to take this kid fishing. Right. And, and it, when the first year, I thought, well, that's how it's going to be and hopefully I can get enough of my friends to come out and right. do it. Well, now, I mean, I've got a waiting list because everyone hears about how powerful this event is. So, I mean, what, a, what an awesome byproduct. Yeah, it, it, and I, I will attest, I, I remember, you know, I, and like I said, I've done some of these events, but so we'd pre-fished and, you know, you and I were trying to catch a lake trout and we're running around and trying to go out. And so we'd go out and we're fishing and it's snowing and we're having a lot of fun with our kids. And, 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 and my little guy was just so involved and so into it. And we ate. We got done, and we all went back to the cabin up at High Country, north of uh, Hill City, and it was like, okay, we're going to have time for a beer, and it was just this quiet kind of like, you know, you got 20, you know, 30-something guys that are all ice fishermen, and they're all buddies, and there wasn't any of this hooting and hollering. It was just like these quiet stories, and it was just nothing like I've ever been a part of because it was just like, well, yeah, and then my guy did this, or my kid did this, and, and he asked this question, and can you believe that? And it was just kind of this thing, and it was like, Right then, I was like, yeah, these guys are on to something. This is something different than anything I'd ever been a part of because I was expecting, like, all right, let's open a case of beer. Let's eat some pizzas and, you know, let's let's tell lies to each other. And it, it wasn't. It was this quiet, subdued, really kind of, pow- like, super powerful moment. And I got done that next, you know, got up the next morning and, and went back. And my wife was just like, well, how was it? And I, I just kind of was like, I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a week because I need time to process this and get it around my head is a cool event uh where are you fishing this year or we're uh, not telling anyone we're gonna be on deerfield <laughs> right you know it somewhere on deerfield is a plan you know that's always or the first year you must have been on horse thief that first yep year. i was okay yep. so that was year one we've been on deerfield ever since except for last year there was too much slush so we had to move it to sharon lake but deerfield just has such a crazy perch bite right uh that we can get those kids on some perch we we had one year where we had a boy that had never fished either open water or ice he caught his first fish ever, and he caught his hundredth fish in that day. So, <laughs> right I mean, what a, what a neat day that was. Right. So, uh, you know, you were talking about how after, after the boys leave and we all go back to the cabins before the banquet, uh, the first year, I'm going to name drop here, but it, it's a pretty huge deal for me, is Dave Gens came out three years ago, four years ago, I think it would have been. Now it was his first time coming out. And... You know, I'm so lucky to be able to call him a friend now. Right. Uh, you know, I idolized him for so many years. And anyway, when he came out for that, uh, his first time, it, it was such a huge deal. And I had him in the same cabin I was in. And Dave's daughter and her husband was in the same cabin. And just uh, Scott Brower, the guy that owns Mackie Plastic. I mean, these guys that I, you know, respect to the nth degree, um, they beat me back to the cabin. And I walked in, they gave me a standing ovation. And, you know, that was their first time out. And, you know, I mean, I've never told this story to anybody. This is the first time I've even mentioned it. But, I mean, that was such a powerful thing right. to me. Here's this guy that I idolize yeah, so much. Godfather of ice Yeah, this gives me a standing ovation for this event. And I'm like, God, right. you're the one that deserves the, right. the standing ovation, not right. me. I just, I'm just a wrangler, you know. Right. I gather up all the guys <laughs> and the right. boys and make this happen. But, you know, it, it was just... That was a really cool experience for me and something I'll, I'll always treasure because, right. I mean, the yeah, fact that big. my idol's clapping for me, that was right. pretty cool. Yeah, that's big. Well, I thank you for your time. If somebody wants to get a hold of you and donate 
anything? How do they? What's the best way to do it? Best, easiest way would be to get on either the Club for Boys. I, I wish I had the website handy, but if you just search the Rapid City Club for Boys and then sponsor a boy. And that's a, it's a super simple way for anybody to be involved. They can donate $100, and what that does is that $100 ensures that we have warm boots, gloves, hats, right. pants, if they need them. You know, just it makes sure that those boys are comfortable on the ice because right. you know as well as anybody, if you're not comfortable, it's not fun anymore. Exactly. And we've had too many boys show up with tennis shoes yep. to go ice fishing. And well, my guy had tennis shoes. Yeah, and I, and I, had his, I think we burnt his socks because I had him on the heater. Right. Yeah, and we we uh, uh, that that first year was a big learning right. experience for us because I just as many uh, times as we addressed it on the permission slips that we are going ice fishing outside, right. need warm clothes. You know, sometimes they just don't have them, and so by sponsoring a boy. Yeah, if the boys truly don't have anything at home, they get to take that stuff home with them. If they do and they forgot it, then we keep it in the warehouse right. so we make sure that there, no boy is cold or anything like that. And so it's just a really cool deal. And and there will be monies left over, uh, you know, after that. But that just goes towards a club for boys outdoor activities right. program. So it keeps those kids going outside throughout the year. You know, whether it's camping, hiking, hunting, whatever it may be, they they just keep the boys outdoors because. I've got an eight-year-old son that's addicted to Fortnite, like a lot of those kids are right now. And so any excuse you can get those kids right. away from the video games yep. and outside, I'm all for it. Yep. Well, Craig Euler, um, Hooked on Hard Water is the event, Rapid City Club for Boys. I mean, it's one of the coolest events and one of the coolest atmospheres run all by donations, everything run all by donations. I thank you for your time. Tell your dad I said hi. And uh, hopefully we can get out together one of these days. I see you catching these big perch, and it just kills me, too. Oh, man, so. you need to get out here and do it. But <laughs> thank you very it. much for having me on. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks. How can time fly just pass by without seeing how to me? How can time fly just pass by without seeing how to me? Good stuff, good stuff from my friend Craig, uh, Hooked on Hard Water. Uh, if you're ever looking for something to get involved with and uh, you want the warm and fuzzy feelings, that is the event. It is a cool, cool thing. I uh, wish I could get out there and do it every year, but uh, it, yeah, that's a spectacular event. And kudos to the uh, Club for Boys and Craig and all the fishermen that come from all over the country to help with that event. Also helped, uh, you know, thanks to all those sponsors. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to let our friend Thea at the Outdoor Campus kind of end our program. But a couple of reminders. For the next coming weeks, we've got a commission meeting, South Dakota Game Fish and Parks commission meeting in Pier on, I believe, the 28th of February and the 1st of March. So that's a little bit different. Going to be talking a few things. I think mountain goats, maybe some deer. Um, there's some proposals on the table. Um, so if you can't make it, but you are interested, go to the South Dakota public broadcasting app, which is a South Dakota network on your smartphone devices. Um, we live stream them, or if you want to listen, uh, to just a specific thing after the fact, go to gfp.sd.gov, um, click on the commission link and, uh, you can find tracked out, um, subjects there from the commission meetings usually posted about monday um and you can listen in and see what you missed 
Also, I know it seems ridiculous, but the uh, deadline for having permanent fish houses removed um, overnight, fish houses being overnight on the ice, is March 1st. So you might have to do some digging if you're up in the Northeast, but March 1st, remember, you have to have your permanent fish houses uh, off the lakes. They can't be, you can put them back on, but they can't be on overnight. Um, Also, this weekend, the 24th, Uh, is your deadline for the first day where you can open up to make reservations for Memorial Day camping weekend. That's a big deal for a lot of people. So uh, you can make reservations for Memorial Day weekend camping on Saturday, February 24th. Going to let our friend at the outdoor campus, Thea Miller-Ryan, crack out this episode. Uh, Stay warm, people. The end is near, and I think I'll be reporting from Pheasant Fest in the next week or two. So thanks for listening to the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks podcast and blast. Be good, kids. Fish and Parks, how can I help you? Hi, out here, gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm pretty sure I saw a mountain lion this morning. So, what do I do if I think I see a mountain lion? Um, well, that doesn't sound crazy at all. You called the right place. Um, definitely possible here in South Dakota. Um, did you, so, did you see the mountain lion, or did you see tracks? Or well, I I saw tracks. They're really big, though, and like I I have a big dog, and it is not. A, it can't be a dog print. Okay. Did you get pictures of it? Well, yeah, I did. I used my foot for scale. Okay. Good. Good. Um, in top down picture, probably. Yeah, I tried to get you know as close to straight up and down as I could. Good. Yeah, take multiple pictures. If you could send those to me, we could start with that, and uh, we could try to make a a diagnostic from that, and uh, from there we can determine if we need to have you talk to a trapper. Okay, well, what do I do about letting my dog out in the meantime? Uh, Definitely, I wouldn't wouldn't worry too much about it. Uh, There is a resident population of of mountain lions in South Dakota, depending where you're at. Um, They're just going to be ones that move through, but by and large, uh, mountain lions are very seclusive, uh, reclusive uh, creatures that uh, um, are going to be more avoiding uh, contact with people more than anything else. Um, you're very unlikely to see them, um, and so they're not going to be hanging around uh, people with their dog, uh, potentially. Hey, this is Thea Ryan from the Outdoor Campus, and today we're talking about what happens when we get those mountain lion calls. I am here with Josh Delger, who is the Regional Terrestrial Resource Supervisor, big title, Um, Mm -hmm. but he works with the wildlife in southeast South Dakota. So we just talked to a a concerned person who called in about possibly seeing a mountain lion, and uh, she spoke with Matt at our front desk, and now the call's made it to you. So, Josh, what happens when you get a call like that? Yeah, so basically you hit on that first part of it. We'll get that call typically to the front desk, and, and, and Matt will take that call, and he'll he'll get all the details on that call and try to, you know, to, to see what, you know, what the, de- what the details are, um, you know, what they had seen, if they got photos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, well, I guess the point is we got to try to see how legitimate of a call it is, and, and uh, sometimes, you know, they are... They can be unfounded, but other times they are um, more credible. 
but it's hard for us to discern that over the phone and we got to try and get as much as we can. So, um, so if we do feel it is something that, um, is legit or we're just, we're just not sure we do have to verify and, and, and check these out when they're, when there's a seriousness, seriousness to them. So, so what will happen is we'll send all our field staff out or whoever's available, whether it's one of our wildlife damage specialists, these guys are, are trained in, in animal trapping and things like that and dealing with, uh, wildlife damage complaints and, and very familiar with, uh, all the different wild species and their behaviors in this area. And so they're really good at that. And then also it, it could be one of our conservation officers as well. So they're very, very well trained in these situations. And so we'll send somebody out to the, to the site, um, take a look at, take a look at the area, um, see if it, see if everything kind of checks out and, you know, the explanation to what the reporting person had said, if it, if it makes sense. Um, of course, we're going to look for tracks, look for any sign. And of course, um, every, every call is a little bit different. So you just, you don't know if it's, uh, you know, somebody that had just seen tracks and we're looking at tracks. If it, somebody had seen just an animal that, uh, resembled a mountain lion, um, or maybe there is, sometimes we do get calls where somebody believes that they had a, a livestock or a pet, you know, that was interacting with this animal or attacked or, or something of that nature. So, um, you know, but that goes into the degree of how serious the, the call is and, and, and what, and how maybe we might respond. So when we're talking about tracks, a lot of times people will send us photos of tracks that they see. What are some things that you look for that's, there's some, there's some clear signs mm. that are a dead giveaway that this is either a cat or a dog. Right. What are some of those signs? You know, it's, that is very true to say that, but you know, the, realize the, the unfortunate thing is, is when we get a track, it's typically not clear cut. You know, they're always, there's always, uh, there's always room for interpretation in a lot of them. And so, you know, we never get a perfect track. We never get a perfect thing to look at, but yeah, I mean, the, I guess the big thing that we look at with the mountain lion is, um, the size of the track. Of course they do have, they do have really big paws and, and that's kind of the biggest thing. Um, and so the size and then kind of the shape is the next one. So they're a little more, rather than being elongated, they're a little more wider. And of course they kind of have that oval shape, just the overall perception of that, the shape of that, uh, that print. And so they're always, they're typically going to be wider than they are long. And again, a, a very big track compared to, you know, it'd be comparable to a large dog and maybe even bigger sometimes. Um, and then the other thing is they typically don't um, <clears throat> leave a claw mark when they're walking. And so that would be a, a pretty good indicator, a real good indicator. If, it, if it's a good track and we got multiple tracks we're looking at and we don't see any claw marks in the snow or the mud or wherever, then that's a really good sign that it could be a, a cat. Not to say that they don't leave a claw mark. You know, the times that we do see claw marks in a in a lion track, which again is not very typical, but if they are, they are running and, and the substrate is kind of loose mm -hmm. and then they got to get more traction or, or more, more likely when they're running up a hill or, you know, a steep slope and then they're likely to sometimes, you know, to extract their claws and use that for traction. But 
typically on a normal tra- walking track, you're you're not going to see any claw mark. Sure, cats have retractable claws. When you think about your cats yep. at home, um, you know every time they walk over your leg, mm-hmm. they don't always leave a scratch or anything. So exactly right. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like that. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, now. There are, sometimes there's mountain lions found, but most of the time in this part of the state, the eastern side, what mm-hmm. happens? Yeah, so that's a good point to make. And, you know, we, uh, um, as you're kind of alluding to, we got, uh, you know, a good number of them out in the Black Hills region. And they do kind of scatter from there since they're, you know, those habitats out there are pretty well saturated, if you want to say. And so, you know, there is... There's adult males and females, and they all have their territories, and they're basically, every year when they're having young, a lot of those habitats can be filled up with mountain lions, and so they tend to leave and disperse, and so they got to have somewhere to go, and, you know, preferably if they went to the west where there's more mountain lion-type habitat, that that's not an issue, and they find other places to live and, and roam, but we get some that go the other way, and they come to the eastern part of the state, and so then they'll just they'll keep moving and typically they're looking for other mountain lions and mm-hmm. they want to set up not necessarily in the same territory of course but they want to set up nearby another another mountain lion and so and that's typically we're talking about <clears throat> young males for the most part too they're looking to find some place where there's a female um females typically don't uh disperse as far they'll kind of just move out to the edges and stay close and so but that's certainly not unheard of. We do see the younger females, too, on occasion um, travel some distance as well. But they're typically looking for really good habitat and, you know, looking for other other cats and, and a good prey base and that, and that kind of thing. So, um, so, yeah, what we get in, what we typically see over here anywhere east of the Black Hills is basically transient animals that they may, they may or may not hang out for a little while um, if they make a kill of an animal or something larger like a deer they may hang around for a matter of days until they eat that eat that animal and then they'll you know depending on what again what the prey base might be if there's lots of deer they may hang a little longer but typically they're passing through and if in that situation where they're just moving and dispersing you know by the time you see one it's probably gone tomorrow and you're never going to see it again and so um, yeah, we get that. We get that kind of uh, response from from the local community, where you know people get pretty excited about it, and some people even get a little worried about it. Um, <clears throat> and then, kind of everybody's on edge and thinking that this thing's going to cause a lot of problems. When a lot of times, by the time the report gets out, that cat is likely long gone. Long gone. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Josh. So if people do think they have a sighting of a mountain lion, they shouldn't be afraid to call us. We'll call us and we'll go check it out and uh, and let them know that um, there is a mountain lion or there was a mountain lion or maybe there wasn't. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and like I say, when I say that we do get a lot of calls and they do, a lot of times they don't check out and it ends up being something else and Mm -hmm. and that's just fine. I mean, we don't want to, don't want to discourage anybody from calling and saying that they, uh, that they have um, a sighting or, or something of that nature. We're certainly interested in those things, and we want to be able to check anything and everything out that we can. So if you're cool. if you're not sure, let us know, and we can talk it out, and, and even come take a look and and see what you got. So all right, yeah. well, thank you, Josh. We appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. All right, thank you. It's down-